The story I have for you today comes from Turkey. It's one of many stories told about a folk hero named Nasruddin Hoca. One day, the Hoca was invited to a fancy dinner at the home of the Mutar, the most important man in town. And so, all of that day, as the Hoca went about his work, tending to his vines and his fields, he thought of the wonderful food and wonderful conversation that he had to look forward to that evening. But alas, he misjudged exactly how long it would take to finish all of his chores, all of his work. And so by the time he returned home, there wasn't time to wash and change and still be in time for the dinner. And he couldn't on any account be late. And so the Hoja simply went to the party still wearing his workaday clothes. When he arrived, strangely, he seemed to be mostly ignored by everyone. The host barely acknowledged him. And he was used to people coming and asking his advice or having interesting things to talk about with him, and no one talked to him at all. And then when it was time for seating at the table, the hoja was seated at the very furthest spot, farthest away from the host possible, and totally ignored. And so the neglected guest quietly got up and left and went back home. And once there, he washed and changed, including putting on his finest new coat, the one that he knew was the best in town. And with his head held high, he went back to the dinner, presented himself, and was greeted like a guest of honor. The host was so happy to see him. Everyone had things to talk about with him, and when it came time to sit down, he was seated at the seat of honor next to the host, and when the food was brought out, the host made sure to grab the most choice bits and to serve the hoja first. And then, to everyone's surprise, the hoja began to take the food and stuff it into the generous pockets of his fine coat saying, eat my fine coat, eat my fine coat. <laughs> well, first, the mutar stared, and then everyone grew quiet and uncomfortable, and everyone stared. And finally, the mutar asked, dear Hoja, what are you doing? Well, replied the Hoja, I am simply honoring the guest that you invited to this feast. When I came before in my workaday clothes, I was ignored. When I returned in my fine coat, I was suddenly treated like a guest of honor. And as I, Nasruddin Hoja, did not change at all in between those two times, clearly the guest you actually wanted to attend was my coat. <laughs> and as such, it should have its fair share of the delicacies. Our first reading is Psalm 125, adapted from the interpretation by Nan Merrill in Psalms for Praying, an Invitation to Wholeness. Those who put their trust in love are like giant trees standing tall and firm and rooted deep. As the tree grows strong in fertile soil, so we mature in the garden of love, nurtured by the spirit of life. For the weeds of fear, the tares of ignorance, find no home here. They are soon cast out. As each flower in its uniqueness blesses the garden, 
the interconnectedness of all brings it to fulfillment. Those whose lives reflect goodness and integrity become mirrors to love's way. They are like fragrant blossoms that bring joy to all around them, like open invitations for others to come. Come, enter the garden of love. Our second reading is offered by Reverend Hilary Krivchenia. Last year, my spouse was finishing up a Master of Science in Environmental Sciences, and he took a course on environmental psychology from Dr. Ming Kuo at the University of Illinois. Dr. Kuo drew on research into happiness, and she explained that the four pillars of happiness are wealth, dessert, fast cars, and power. <laughs> no, no, actually, the research showed that the key pillars for happiness are belonging, mastery, purpose, and self-determination, and some added transcendence. That is exactly the purpose of our faith community and what engagement in our faith communities bear as fruit. We're here to fashion a people and a community to offer a path to real belonging, to new masteries and competencies, to a faith of the free, and to a sense of purpose that will transform your life and more lives in the present and the future. So ends our readings. Last winter, during the ministerial search process, your ministerial search team and I were reading a lot. The search process for ministers and congregations to find each other involves each of us creating a search packet, a collection of information about ourselves. I describe it a little bit like Match.com for congregations and ministers who are looking for each other. We each create a profile and then we read about each other. There were many things in this congregation's search packet that were intriguing to me. A lot of things that I liked and some things that I loved. And I have to confess to you that one of the things that I loved was this congregation's organizational chart. <laughs> now, that's a really geeky thing to love and probably only a former state employee could say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's true, I love this congregation's organizational chart. So this is what it looks like. At the bottom is the congregation as a collection of individuals. That's the foundation. From there rise five ministries, the five pillars, ministries created to serve the mission of this congregation. And the five ministries are spiritual life, religious education, congregational life, faith in action, and resource ministry. Things like, oh, the mortgage and those kinds of things. 
And all five of those have an accountable person or a lead staff person, and of course, we all work together. And then there's the board and the leadership development team. And then at the very top is the congregation as a whole. Interesting organizational chart. So there were several things that this org chart told me. One was that this congregation understood mission. Everything is organized here to serve the mission of this congregation, which is clear and memorable. Open minds, fill hearts, transform lives. Yeah, that's the deal. So everything is set up to fulfill that mission as expressed in some very specific goals set by the congregation. Everything points to the mission, the purpose, the reason that OUUC exists in Olympia, in our community, in our world. I love that focus and I love our mission. Another thing that the org chart told me is that you understand the difference between a group of individuals and the collective. Those who study systems say that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Have you heard that before? A congregation as a whole is more than just a group of individuals. There is power in our coming together as community. We are stronger together. It is the power of we the power of belonging, the power of our collective love for each other and for the world. The power of we. That was the theme of our Unitarian Universalist Association's annual gathering in Spokane last June, our General Assembly, or GA. Once a year, UUs from all over the world gather to worship and learn and work for justice together. GA this year offered us the opportunity for theological reflection on the power of we. Some of you attended in person and some of you might have attended online. For those who didn't, I invite you to look for the fall issue of the UU magazine, The World, because there's some wonderful pictures and summaries of what happened there. There's lots online as well. You can find some of the magazines out in the commons. That our denomination would focus on we is not a surprise, because these last couple years, we've kind of been having a hard time of it. Two years ago, in the spring of 2017, Unitarian Universalism was rocked by the naming of institutional racism. Racism grounded in white supremacy culture that had resulted in the marginalization of religious professionals of color. Many of those who find comfort in our denomination were surprised that religious professionals of color experienced discrimination within the UUA. In a denomination that prides itself on welcoming everyone, this naming was a wake-up call 
to fully live our Unitarian Universalist beliefs and values. As a result, many of our institutions, the UU Association, the UU Ministers Association, the Association for UU Music Ministries, and the Liberal Religious Educators Association, all of us have been in the process of investigating our structures and policies and procedures in the effort to decenter whiteness and create places where everyone is truly welcome. This is not easy or comfortable work. At the center of all this is a very important question. Who is we? In our denomination, people of color, people who identify as trans, genderqueer, or non-binary, people on the margins have spoken up saying they do not feel welcome, they do not feel like they belong. Who is we, anyway? At the heart of this question is the paradox of belonging. And belonging is our spiritual theme for the month of October. Social researcher Brene Brown defines belonging this way. Belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Because this yearning is so primal we often try to acquire it by fitting in and by seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for true belonging, but often barriers to it. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. There are lots of parts to that complex definition of belonging. First is the truth that the desire to belong is innate. Humans are social creatures. We want to be part of something larger than we are. We want to come together because we are better together. The core of belonging is longing. It is our heart's desire to be part of something where we are known, accepted, and feel at home. One of the big questions of life, those big questions that keep us up at night and bring us to church in the first place, one of those big questions of life is, where do I belong? Our first task of faith formation, what we seek to create for our youngest members here at OUUC, is a sense of belonging. All of the religious education that comes later, exploring the world, learning how to live in community, exploring other beliefs and faith traditions, all of it is built on a foundation of belonging and trust. That's what we seek to create here. The second part of this definition says that any person or place that asks us to be anything other than who and what we are does not offer true belonging. Anytime we feel we can fit in only if we hide our authentic and human self, we are being offered only a substitute for belonging. 
and that substitute is damaging to bodies, minds, and spirits. We know that classism, racism, sexism, all of the isms ask that we be something other than our authentic selves. And that can lead to ostracism, bullying, abuse, and other types of violence. Today's story illustrates one of those isms very well. The wholeness of the hoja is that he is a working man as well as a noble. When he brought signs of his work life to the dinner party, he was not seen. He was not welcomed, and he got a clear sense that he did not belong. When he put on his fine coat, when he covered up the working part of his life, he was seen, welcomed, and belonged. He was asked to be something less than his whole self, to cover up what was true and real. What belonged at that dinner party wasn't himself. It was his fine coat. And third, this definition suggests that we must belong to ourselves in order to belong to something greater. Brown tells us that, quote, belonging to ourselves means being called to stand alone when needed, to brave the wilderness of uncertainty, vulnerability, and criticism. In our denomination over these past few years, people on the margins have braved uncertainty, vulnerability, and criticism to tell their truth, a truth of marginalization, not being seen or heard, not being included, not belonging. True belonging is a paradox because it requires that we be secure alone in order to be able to join with others. It requires that we are grounded enough in our own being that we can bring our full and authentic selves into relationships with others. Brown says this, True belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and finding sacredness in both being part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require that you change who you are. True belonging requires that you be who you are. What we are exploring as a denomination is that sometimes the belonging of some of us conflicts with the belonging of others of us. What then? How do we stay in relationship when our expectations of comfort might be challenged? How do we stay connected if who we are and what binds us together is a pull toward division and cynicism? With our seventh principle, we affirm and promote the interdependent web of existence of which we are all a part. Our theology tells us that we are all connected and that we all belong. Our 
infinite web of all existence invites us to experience limitless belonging. When we experience limitless belonging, how might that inform how we are to be together, our duty to each other, how we show up for each other? How might we be called to make the infinite web of all existence manifest in this world, in this community? UU Minister Lynn Unger offers us this. The truth is that belonging is not a state, it's a process. It isn't something you have, it's something you build. It takes time, plus the willingness to listen and be wrong and work out a better way, a deeper understanding. And so we return to our Unitarian Universalist denomination and our congregation. We have work to do to make limitless belonging manifest to create heaven right here on earth. In our reading, Reverend Hilary Krivchevnia reminds us that this is the purpose of our faith communities. She said, we are here to fashion a people and create a community to offer a path to real belonging, to new masteries and competencies, to a faith of the free, to a sense of purpose that will transform your life and more lives in the present and in the future. This is the work of our denomination, and this is the work of our congregation. Transformation. To be a place where people are welcome to be their whole selves and are not asked to cover themselves in fine coats. This is the ministry that we do together in relationship, holding each other in love and holding each other accountable. True belonging requires accountability to others as well as ourselves. So how do we care for our own identity and belonging while not degrading someone else's in the process? That is the work of a spiritual community where we practice we fail, we try again, and we do all of this in love that we may find a better way and bring it into the world. Our UUA is a voluntary association of congregations. We don't have a pope or a bishop or a presbyter that tells us how we are supposed to be. We make a commitment to come together as a collection of congregations. And it is the same within our congregations. This is a voluntary association where we commit and recommit to come together as a community. The choice is ours to make. This community is ours to create. One of the other things I love about this congregation is that we are generous. OUUC is the only congregation that I know of where more than 95% of the people who make a financial commitment to the congregation fulfill it. OUUC is also an honor congregation 
with our Unitarian Universalist Association, which means that this congregation makes a fair share dues payment to the UUA every year and has done so for more than 25 years. Throughout this month, we will have the opportunity to explore the theme of belonging, including a number of gatherings to get to know each other and to make a financial commitment to this congregation. This month is our annual stewardship drive, when we invite each other to draw on our abundance and give generously to support the mission of this congregation. This year, my husband and I have made a financial commitment to OUUC. We have been members of UU congregations for 30 years, and we believe that part of belonging is stewardship of all of the resources of the congregation, including the financial. I am committed to our faith tradition because I believe that Unitarian Universalism has something important and life-saving to offer in this world. It was in this faith that I found support to be who I am rather than being told who I should be. It was in this faith that I found my voice and it was in this faith that I was held in love in such a way that I could hear a call to ministry. And I believe that everybody deserves that sense of belonging. I support Unitarian Universalism not because it is perfect, but because we are courageous and vulnerable enough to admit that we are not perfect. And we begin again in love. I support Unitarian Universalism not because we have all the answers, but because we ask questions and we know that once we find some answers, we will only find more questions. And I support Unitarian Universalism not because we have it all figured out and wrapped up nicely in a bundle tied with a bow. I support us because we are in the messy and marvelous work of creating community. And I support OUUC because it is here in our congregation that we will bring our imperfect, courageous, messy, vulnerable selves and build beloved community together. Each Sunday morning when I arrive here at OUUC, I have a habit now, some of you probably do as well, after checking in with the many folks who make worship happen, I go to my office and I put on my vestments, my robe and my stole, and I say a prayer. And I do this for a number of reasons. One of them is that it helps me remember my ministry and that my ministry is to show up every Sunday and every day with my skills and abilities and knowledge and my fears and my doubts and my imperfections. Because it is only when I can show up as my authentic self held in love that I can greet you as your authentic selves and that I can help hold this community to become what we are to become. And it is when we all show up as our whole and authentic selves that we come together, and that is our shared ministry together.
Our stewardship theme for this month is planting seeds, growing love. Any gardener or farmer or forester knows that you have to plant seeds every year in order to enjoy a bountiful harvest. We are enjoying the fruits of seeds that have been planted by the generous people before us. We are now called to plant seeds to ensure a bountiful harvest for the future. Many of us searched and found Unitarian Universalism. We searched and we found OUUC. We searched and we found each other. I hope you will join me in supporting our shared ministry together, a ministry grounded in love. It is time now. May this be so.